Well, tonight we're going to look at a man uh, called John Knox. Uh, some of you may uh, not have heard of him. That's okay. Hopefully, uh, by the end, you'll know something about this man. Uh, but just before we uh, look at him in any detail, uh, in, our, um, in some of the home groups, at least, uh, this week, I'm sure you were looking at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, and in that chapter, we uh, were speaking about fearing God rather than men. Uh, and we read this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, during the time of the Reformation, these verses were lived out by reformers who were constantly under threat, often the threat of death. They had to face a very real choice. Am I going to fear God or am I going to fear man? And tonight we're going to look at the life of a reformer called John Knox, a man of whom it was said at his funeral, so obviously at the end of his life, uh, by the minister who was presiding, here lies a man who in his life never feared the face of man. Here lies a man who in his life never feared the face of man. He did exactly what Peter was talking about here. He was not afraid of men. He feared God. And as we look at the lives of saints of the past, we can learn how we can live for Christ in the present. Well, John Knox was born in 1514 uh, in a place called Haddington in Scotland. So he was born... Uh, in 1514, so he was only three years old in 1517 when Martin Luther uh, began the Reformation by nailing his uh, 95 Thesis to the door in Wittenberg. But he, John Knox was born into a Scotland that was very Roman Catholic. Uh, there was a king on the throne, James V, and he was married to a French lady called Mary of Guise. Uh, she also was Roman Catholic. There was uh, a Catholic cardinal who was in charge of the church in Scotland called James Beaton. And in 1528, he ordered the execution by burning of a man called Patrick Hamilton, who was then the first Protestant martyr in Scotland. And it was no doubt that John Knox at this time was brought up a Roman Catholic. Not much is known about his childhood, but in 1529, he went uh, at the age of 15 to St. Andrew's University, and he studied theology, and he uh, was ordained as a priest in 1536. But in 1542, this uh, king, James V, he died, and he had one child with Mary of Guise, who was a daughter also called Mary, later known as Mary, Queen of Scots. But she was just, uh, as they would say in Scotland, a bairn. 
And so the Scottish uh, Parliament decided that there needed to be a regent in place to rule instead of Mary. And so the Earl of Arran was called to reign in Mary's place until she was old enough to take over herself. She was sent off to France to find a husband there, and the Earl of Arran was in charge. The Earl of Arran was a man who was uh, sympathetic to the Reformation. Uh, And he allowed people to preach uh, the word of God. And one of these men was a man called Thomas Gillam. And John Knox heard Thomas Gillam preach, and under his preaching he was converted in 1543. But by 1545, just two years later, he was under the influence of a powerful preacher named George Wishart. And this man had an extremely powerful influence on John Knox. He was a fiery preacher, really powerful in what he said, and he stood his ground in the face of opposition. And Wishart suffered immense persecution. People wanted to kill him, and John Knox's job was the bodyguard. And he would have a huge sword that he would stand in front of the pulpit while Wishart was preaching to stop people coming up uh, to kill him. Now, of course, we don't need that uh, today, but you can just imagine there he is down there with this massive sword being wielded around uh, to stop people, uh, trying probably not to distract people from the preaching that was supposed to be going on behind him. But in 1546, Wishart was martyred. When the forces were coming for him, John Knox was prepared to stand and die with him, no doubt trying to take out as many people as he could with his big sword. But Wishart did not want John Knox to stay with him. He wanted to be the only one to die. And so he said to John uh, Knox, Nay, return to your bairns, and God bless you. One is sufficient for sacrifice. Well, Knox was devastated at the death of a man who was a spiritual father to him and had taught him so much. But from this experience of being with this man, John Knox learnt to stand for the truth, even if it meant he would have to die. And it gave John Knox a new uh, determination to win Scotland for the Reformed faith. Well, the persecution of Protestants caused a lot of anger in Scotland, and the cardinal behind it all, James Beaton, became very, very unpopular. So unpopular that he was murdered in 1542. The Earl of Arran, the regent, who had helped the cause of the Protestants uh, in allowing preaching to go on, could not stand for this kind of insurrection. And so a new wave of persecution broke out against the Protestants. And John Knox was guilty by association with the murder of this cardinal, and so he was in danger. Well, at this time, many of the Protestants who were being hounded rallied at St. Andrew's Castle, and they were able to live in relative peace and security in the castle because they had the Earl of Arran's son as a hostage. And so the Earl of Arran didn't want to send people to attack the castle because he was worried for his son. And so lots of Protestants went to St. Andrews 
and they lived in the castle. When you think of a castle, you may think of something quite small, but a castle was like a mini town at the time. It was very big, and they could fit lots of people there. Well, Knox also began to live in the castle. And while he was there, amongst other things, he began to teach the Bible. He took three students through John's Gospel, and as he was doing that, other people came and started joining in the classes. And his teaching abilities were becoming evident. And the castle had a church in it, and uh, the church wanted John Knox to be their pastor. But he did not want to be the pastor. He didn't feel it was right for him to do. He didn't feel he had the abilities. He just did not want to be a pastor at all. But the current pastor was a man called John Ruff. Uh, And John Knox was not going to accept the call to preach, but during one of John Ruff's sermons, he turned to John Knox in the congregation and spoke directly to him and said, in the name of God and of his son Jesus Christ, and in the name of those that presently call you by mouth, I charge you that you refuse not this holy vocation. Afterwards, Ruff asked the congregation what they thought, and everyone approved. Well, what did John Knox do? He burst forth, it says, in the most abundant tears, and withdrew himself to his chambers. So he basically went to the vestry in tears, and he locked himself in there for days. He didn't eat. He just locked himself away. He did not want to do this. But while he was locked away, one week later, he came out and he accepted the call to preach. And his first sermon was a fiery anti-Catholic message in which he gave the true gospel. And his preaching, because it was very against the Catholic Church teaching of the time, made him a marked man. Well, Mary of Guise, the the Catholic mother of uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, was not happy with the Reformed believers being allowed to live in St. Andrew's Castle. She wasn't happy that the Earl of Arran wasn't allowing the army to go and march in. And so she called her family back home in France to help her and to help the Roman Catholic cause by sending an army to attack St. Andrews, which the French did. In June 1547, the French forces took the castle and Knox was one of those captured and he was made to be a galley slave. Uh, If you don't know what a a galley slave is, uh, I've got a picture of a galley ship But a galley ship is a ship with lots of oars that people had to row, uh, and they were down in the depths of the ship, uh, rowing uh, the ship all over the place. Uh, He would have to row day after day for hours and hours, and he was on the ship for 19 months. And from this experience, his health uh, had problems for the rest of his life. But whilst on the boat, the French would come below decks and they would try and convert the slaves back to the Roman Catholic faith. And one time, they tried to get John Knox to kiss a statue of the Virgin Mary. Well, John Knox resisted and he said this, Trouble me not, such an idol is accursed and therefore 
I will not touch it. He said that, but he did touch it. He touched it with his hands by picking it from the person trying to convert him, and he threw it overboard into the sea. Much to the dismay of the French sailors who were very suspicious and worried because there was the Virgin Mary floating away. Well, John Knox said to them as the statue landed in the water, let our lady now save herself. She is light enough. Let her learn how to swim. So he was willing to stand up to the the slave masters who were trying to get him to do things that he just refused to do. He suffered because of this, but he was willing to take his stand. Well, Edward VI became King of England in 1547, and in 1549 he managed to arrange a prisoner exchange with the French, and John Knox was included with those who were released. He couldn't go back to Scotland because he wouldn't be allowed to preach there with Mary of Geese uh, still around, and so he went to live in England. England was undergoing uh, its own reformation under King Edward, and John Knox wanted to help. And he, as, a, as a minister who was ordained and called, he was allowed to preach, and so he was sent by the Archbishop to Berwick-on-Tweed. Berwick-on-Tweed, it's hard to see on the map, but it's just a couple of miles uh, from the border to Scotland. And he was sent there to be the chaplain of a very rowdy army barracks. And God used him there, and many people were converted as they came under the preaching of the gospel. At the same time, because the location was so close to Scotland, people would come over the border and give him news about what was going on in his homeland. And people came over the border also just to hear John Knox's preaching. But even in in England that was becoming reformed, John Knox would still uh, get into trouble because he preached so violently against the Roman Catholic Mass. Although a reformation was underway, those who had Catholic sympathies were not exiled as long as they didn't cause any trouble. And there was a bishop who was not happy with this preaching, and he arranged a meeting called the Council of the North. And he called Knox to this council and had him explain his preaching, which he did. In fact, he explained his preaching so well that they asked him to be the pastor of St. Nicholas Church in Newcastle. Whilst ministering in the north of England, though he met and fell in love with Marjorie Bowes, who had, along with her mother, been converted by Knox's preaching. They didn't marry straight away, as there was much opposition from her father. Her father regarded John Knox as a very poor choice of husband. It was bad enough that his daughter wanted to marry someone from Scotland, who wasn't even a noble. Uh, It was bad enough that he was recently refused, uh, recently a slave in a French galley ship. But what made this man much worse was that he was poor, and he was an impoverished priest with a former priest with uncertain prospects. And so he wasn't much of a catch. So he said no, and so they waited. On the other hand, her mother, Elizabeth, liked John Knox very much. And in fact, they did later marry, which we'll see, and he remained close to his mother-in-law for the rest of her life. 
His prospects look better later on, though, because in 1551, he was asked to be one of six chaplains to King Edward himself, preaching before the king on a regular basis. His time minister in England, in England though, was not straightforward all the time. He was so passionate about reform, he wasn't prepared to accept any kind of half measures at all. So he wasn't willing to compromise in any area. And so he fell out with Archbishop Cramner over the Book of Common Prayer, which John Knox said just didn't go far enough away from the Roman Catholic Church. The sticking point was about kneeling for communion. John Knox felt that kneeling before the bread and the cup was an act of worship, too much like the Catholic Mass. And Cramner disagreed. However, he did update the Book of Common Prayer to have an explanation in there to say that the kneeling didn't mean you were worshipping. But John Knox was still not happy, and he refused to take the position of the Bishop of Rochester when it was offered to him because of this. But all of that became irrelevant in 1553 when Edward died and Mary Tudor ascended to the throne. Mary was a Catholic the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, the first wife of Henry VIII. And the Reformed Church in England underwent a humongous uh, persecution. Hundreds and hundreds of people were burnt at the stake for their rejection of Catholic doctrine and their belief in the doctrines of the Reformation. And John Knox at this time lost many friends, but he fled to the continent for his own safety. He left his fiancée Marjorie behind, who he was engaged to at the time. And whilst this must have hurt, his greatest pain came from the guilt of fleeing when many of his friends were being burned. He began whilst on the continent to develop ideas about armed resistance to ungodly rulers. He thought that the reformers should stand together and fight no doubt remembering the great sword that he probably still had. And he went around Europe trying to find other reformers who agreed that they should arm themselves and fight. Among other places, he went to Geneva to get the thoughts of John Calvin, who disagreed with John Knox on armed rebellion. John Calvin was the leading theologian in Europe and of the Reformation as a whole, and it was Calvin's theology that had the greatest influence on Knox as a theologian. And later on, it was uh, the way that Calvin uh, believed that the church should be run in, in Geneva that John Knox took home and established in Scotland. Knox loved Geneva. In 1556, he wrote home, here exists the most perfect school of Christ, which has been since the days of the apostles on earth. Christ is preached everywhere too, yet nowhere did I find that morals and faith have been improved more sincerely than here. Well, Knox wasn't in Geneva for very long after his arrival. He was called in 1554 to uh, be a, a minister of an English congregation in Frankfurt in Germany. He was not happy with the Book of Common Prayer, and so he decided to write his own uh, Book of Prayer, his own liturgy. And he tried to adopt this instead. And he had to bring this, uh, this liturgy to a vote in the church. 
and the church were just about to vote the, the liturgy in when two other pastors came in and they swung everybody to their point of view and John Knox was fired from the church he had just become pastor of. And so he went back to Geneva and he sat under John Calvin's teaching. In the autumn of 1555, he did go back to Scotland for a few months. There were two reasons for this. One was to get married, which he did, and the other was to assess the progress of Protestantism, Protestantism while he was away. In Scotland, the persecution wasn't like England. It was Protestantism was tolerated in small ways. And John Knox wanted to see how it was going. And this was done by a preaching tour. Although it was mainly in secret, his preaching was so popular that it couldn't be kept underground. And he was called then to go before a council to answer charges of heresy. The council was in Edinburgh, and it, behind the scenes of it all was Mary of Guise. No one expected Knox to show up, because they thought he would be scared of Mary. But he did show up. And the council backed down when they knew that if they arrested him, there would be a riot. John Knox's preaching was so popular that it just couldn't be kept under wraps. Knox was pleased with what he saw overall in Scotland. He was impressed with the small groups of believers who met uh, in behind closed doors for a reading of scripture and for prayer. But nevertheless, the time was not ready for a reformation in Scotland. And so Knox returned with Marjorie to the Peace of Geneva. And when Knox returned, he was called to be the pastor of an English congregation in Geneva who were in exile from Queen Mary. And he was able to implement his own liturgy and run the church how he thought a church should be run according to the scriptures. And it was the most peaceful period of John Knox's life. He had two children, Nathaniel and Eleazar, and he was loved by his church people. He was able to spend time reading and studying under Calvin's ministry. It was a wonderful time for John Knox. But in 1557, he received a letter from four Scottish nobles who asked him to come back to Scotland and establish a new reformed church in that land. Well, John Knox talked it over with John Calvin and the congregation of his church all agreed that he should go back and use his gifts to establish a reformed church in Scotland. Well, he started off on his way and he got to Dieppe on the coast, ready to sail. But all of a sudden, things changed. Mary of Guise was trying to marry off her daughter to the French Dauphin, and she needed the support of her nobles and she needed them to ensure the country remained Catholic, and so she bribed them with lots of money, and they wrote back to John Knox and said, actually, uh, we don't want you after all. And John Knox was furious. And it was in this fury that he wrote his most infamous work, the first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women. This work uh, was a tract which wrote against uh, women ruling in a nation under any circumstances at all. 
and he was so against the women ruling that he encouraged in this track people to rise up and fight against these monstrous women who were ruling these lands. Now, this uh, was not his greatest moment. It was definitely not a great piece of writing. It's not even really biblically sound. It sounds even worse in our culture uh, today, but you have to understand, even if you can't agree with him, where John Knox was coming from. Mary Tudor, the Queen of England, was burning alive his friends. Mary of Guise was bribing the nobles to stop him coming back to set up a reformed church. Mary, Queen of Scots, was going to marry a French Dauphin and return to Scotland and keep uh, the nation a Catholic nation. And it would be a Catholic dynasty which would prevent the Reformation. And Knox was seeing all of these women doing all of these things and in his fury wrote this tract. He was not uh, a misogynist. Uh, He had a wonderful relationship, if you read about him, with his wife. He wrote wonderful um, uh, letters back and forth, actually, with his mother-in-law, a wonderful relationship that they had together. But although uh, this wasn't his greatest piece of work, you have to understand kind of where he was coming from at the time. But the great problem with this tract was not actually uh, that it was just not very good. The big problem was that the impacts of it were not just on uh, the Reformation in Scotland, but also the Reformation in England as well. Because in the next year, 1558, Mary Tudor died and Elizabeth I became Queen of England. And many of his English congregation decided to go home because Elizabeth was willing to allow a reformed church to be established in England. And the Scottish nobles, uh, again, decided to ask John to return to Scotland and set up the reformed church there. And the easiest way to get to Scotland was to go through England. But Queen Elizabeth was not going to allow John Knox to set foot in her country because he had written the tract against women rulers. Elizabeth I, even though she was uh, wanting to set up a reformed church, was not willing to allow this man to go to England. But the major impact was even more than that. Elizabeth I associated John Knox with John Calvin in Geneva. And so the reform that took place in England was very different from what was later to become the Church of Scotland. The Church of England that was established was not a reformed church in the same way that the churches in Geneva were established. And so today, the impact of that tract is still felt because the two nations, even though we're in the United Kingdom, have different churches established in different ways. Well, on the 2nd of May, 1559, uh, John Knox returned to Scotland and the Reformation was about to really begin. But he returned to a very divided country where the battle lines were drawn between Mary of Guise and her Catholic forces and the reformed believers who were known as the Lords of the Congregation. And they were 
uh, out, the reformers were outnumbered by the forces that included church and state. Protestant preachers were arrested, and John Knox went to Perth, which was a stronghold for the reformers. And in Perth, he preached powerfully against idolatry, and his sermon caused such a stir that people started going around the monasteries and smashing them to pieces, and getting the idols and burning them and all sorts of things. So Mary decided enough was enough, and she had to... Uh, to, to calm things down by force if necessary. And things did calm down because Mary called a truce, but she decided to uh, betray uh, everybody by attacking Perth anyway. And this betrayal and the preaching of John Knox turned people away from Mary and made them want to support the ref reformers' cause. And so in Edinburgh, John Knox was installed as the pastor of St. Giles Church. It was the most prominent church in Scotland and had been since the 12th century when it was built. It had 3,000 worshippers there. And so John Knox had a place where he could proclaim the reformed doctrine. Not long after he arrived, though, he had to leave again because Mary of Guise's forces marched on Edinburgh. But in July 1560, Mary died, and the focal point of Catholic support had gone. And so the Scottish Parliament decided that they wanted to establish a reformed church in Scotland to replace the Catholic Church. They banned the mass, making it illegal, and no Catholics were passionate enough about the old church to fight against this, and so the Reformation in Scotland could really take hold. John Knox was called with three other men, all of whose names were John, so there were four Johns, uh, to go away and come up with a, a statement of faith for the Reformed Church. And they did that in just four days. They wrote a document called the Scots Confession, and it was heavily influenced by John Knox's time in Geneva. And this totally changed overnight how church was done. In the Roman Catholic Church, the congregation were merely spectators as they watched and listened, and the altar was the central point of the church. But in the Reformed congregation, there was participation. The congregation sang the psalms. The pulpit was at the centre where God's word was proclaimed. The preaching was in English or in Gallic, so that the congregation could understand what was going on. The reformers believed that people needed to be taught the Bible, and so that resulted in improvements for education as schools were established to teach people to read so they could understand the scriptures. But whilst all this good work was going on in the church, John Knox suffered at home as his beloved wife Marjorie died in 1561. And it was during this period that the Scottish Parliament invited Mary, Queen of Scots, back to Scotland when her husband, Francois II of France, died. While she was married to him, she couldn't come back because she was the Queen of France, but now that she was a single lady, she was the legal heir to the throne. And so she came in 1561 to, with much enthusiasm amongst the population. John Knox, though, was not so enthusiastic. 
Mary was a staunch Catholic, and on her first Sunday back, she celebrated the illegal mass. An exception was made for her. And so John Knox decided to preach against Mary, Queen of Scots, against the mass that she was taking part in. He stood up to Mary in a number of interviews where she invited him to come and see her. He spoke the truth. He spoke to power and stood his ground to the most powerful lady in the land. He made her cry, apparently, very often in these interviews. Knox felt that allowing Mass to return would be the end of the Reformation. He said that one Mass was more fearful to him than if 10,000 armed enemies had landed in any part of the realm. He was fearful of what might happen. While Knox and Mary did meet a number of times, Knox always speaking his mind, they never got on with each other. In 1565, Mary, Queen of Scots, married Lord Darnley, which really annoyed Knox because Darnley was also a Catholic. And so that Sunday, he went to his pulpit and his message was about Ahab and Jezebel. And Darnley, who was in the church at the time, was really not very happy about this. He saw the, uh, the, who he was talking about, and it so annoyed him that he tried to get Knox banned from preaching whenever he or Mary was in Edinburgh. He failed to do so. Although Knox may have been annoyed at Mary's marriage to Darnley, she became equally frustrated when Knox married again. He married Mary, Queen of Scots' cousin, Margaret Stuart, a member of the royal family, a member of the royal family marrying the humble John Knox, the poor Protestant preacher. Well, not long into Mary and Darnley's marriage, things started to unravel, and, Darn and, uh, and Darnley arranged for the murder of one of Mary's close confidants, a man by the name of Rizzio. Because Knox had spoken about killing Catholics in the past, he was implicated, and so he decided to leave Edinburgh for a while and lay low. And he stayed for two years in the district of Kyle in Ayrshire, where he wrote his most important work, The History of the Reformation of Religion Within the Realm of Scotland. You can still buy these things, by the way, on Amazon. I don't know how much they are. Uh, but they're, they're, they're quite hard to read, but you can still have a look at what he wrote all those years ago. In 1567, though, Mary, Queen of Scots, was forced to abdicate her throne because she ended up marrying the man who had murdered her husband, which was very... Uh, uh, not, who murdered her, her confidant. Uh, sorry, Mary, Queen of Scots, married the man who had murdered her husband who had murdered her confidant. And this was all very suspicious, and so she had to abdicate the throne and flee to England, where her, and her son James was made the king. And John Knox preached at James's coronation, and because James was a child, the country again was led by a regent who was a Protestant. This was a time of relative stability, where Knox busied himself with the work of leading the new church in Scotland in its foundational years. He was extremely busy during this time. He preached twice on Sunday and three times during the week. He oversaw churches across the country and gave assistance during their difficulties. He gave pastoral counsel in person and by letter to many who came to him for help. 
and he was a great support for the child king, James. This busyness, though, had an impact on his health, which was never great because of his time as a galley slave. And in the autumn of 1570, he had a stroke. Initially, the stroke disrupted his speech, but it left him permanently weaker down the left-hand side. And although he made a good recovery, he always thereafter was uh, walked slowly and with difficulty. In 1571, though, there was again a time of political turmoil, and it was best felt that Knox should leave Edinburgh and go away for a while. They made this decision when a cannonball came through his office window in Edinburgh and just missed his head, and so they thought it was a good idea if he went away for a while. Well, he went to St. Andrew's University, and while he was there, he ministered to students passing on his vast experiences to them. He told them to fear God and to bless Scotland. And although he was weak and he had to be helped into the pulpit, when he got there, he still preached with vigour. He returned to St Giles a year later, but he had to preach in one of the smaller chapels because his voice began to fail. He was becoming weaker. On the 22nd of July, 1571, he preached at the induction service of his successor at St. Giles. And that was to be his last sermon because two days later, he passed away with his wife reading him scripture, especially John chapter 17, which he called his first anchor. And some sermons by John Calvin. He died peacefully knowing where he was going, and he was buried at St. Giles' church. At his funeral, Earl Morton, the newly elected regent of Scotland, spoke these long-remembered words. Here lies a man who in his life never feared the face of man. Well, John Knox's influence uh, is still with us today. Especially, I suppose, because the Presbyterian Church, which he was formative in establishing in Scotland, is all over the world today. But he is inspiring in a number of other ways as well. John Knox was always willing to stand up for what he saw as right in God's word at great cost to himself and without fear. It's quite something to stand before a powerful monarch and before a great theologian like Calvin and disagree with them. As Christians, we have to be willing to say things to people that they will not like to hear. We have to sometimes take our stand. He believed in the power of preaching and the power of God's word. He changed the churches so that the pulpit was central. He saw preaching as God's trumpet proclaiming God's truth. One writer says, if Martin Luther was the hammer of the Reformation and John Calvin the pen, John Knox was the trumpet. His preaching saw many converted and built up in their faith. And as we look at his life, we also should be willing in our day and in our culture 
to speak God's truth and be prepared to pay the cost, trusting that God will bless our endeavours for the glory of his name. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can look at uh, this life of one of your servants, and we thank you for how you used him in mighty ways in his day. Now, I pray that we in our day would be willing to stand up for the truth, even when people don't want to hear it. And Lord, we know that in our places of work, our neighbours, some of our friends, even our family members, they don't like what we believe. They speak against what we believe. Help us, Lord, to take a stand for the truth, even when it's hard and people don't want to hear. We pray this, Lord, that you would be glorified in all of our lives and that you would do a great work through us for your glory. Amen. Well, we're going to close with uh, one final song. Uh, John Knox was one who uh, preached uh, the truth of the scripture. And our final song is Tell Out My Soul, The Greatness of the Lord. So let's stand and let's sing.
But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Amen.